Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Whoo! Jesus is so good, isn't he? Isn't he just so good? Jesus, you're so good. Jesus, your goodness, we cannot even understand. We've just tasted a, a bit of a bit of a bit of it. And it's enough to undo our hearts. And Lord, we ask that this morning that your freedom and your life will come into us in greater ways. We ask that your power and your anointing will come into us and will bring us freedom and bring us life. And as we were, as we were praying and getting ready for today, we, we got a word that this morning, it's like God's going to be bringing some of us out of caves. Places where we've been isolated, places where we've been um, because of hurt, because of pain. We've been shut up by ourselves. And the Father this morning, because he's so good, is rolling back the stone. And he's saying, come out. Come out. Come into freedom. Come into healing. Come into life. And so I have good news for you. That Jesus Christ is alive, and because he's alive, his resurrection is your resurrection. His, <laughs> his inheritance is your inheritance. His power is your power, and his life is now your life. And when this gets into us, we start to get changed, and we start to get transformed. Ah, and that's good news, everybody. That's really good news. Oh. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Acts 11. We're going to read a passage from Acts 11 and then a short passage from Acts 13. And I'm absolutely indebted to uh, John and Carol and Duncan and Kate and Timothy Keller and Wayne Grudem and Peter Wagner for some of these uh, insights that we're about to go through. And this has always kind of stuck with me because the Lord has called us to be like an Antioch church. And I never... I didn't really understand that. I feel like I'm still digging into what that means, but recently the Lord has been revealing more of that to me, and so I would like to share that with you. This morning I'm continuing our series on relationships, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at the church in Antioch, why they were able to do what they did, why they were able, able to be who they, who they were, what was so significant about that, and how God's calling us to do the same. All right, so Acts 11, we're going to look from verse 19 to 26, and then Acts 13, 1 to 3. All right, Acts 11, 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of, the, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Turn with me to Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. 
In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And friends, what we have here is we have the church at Antioch, which actually is one of the most prominent churches in the entire New Testament. From this point on, we actually see the church at Jerusalem start to diminish in power, influence, and reference, and the church in Antioch begin to rise. And what's really interesting, what's really amazing, is that there were a few reasons that this happened. The reason why, one of the reasons why, is because this is the first time that people who are not Jewish believers are coming to the Lord in great numbers. This is the first time that the gospel is actually going to non-Greeks, or sorry, non-Jews. It's going to Greek people. It's going to pluralist people. It's going to people who had many gods, people who grew up not knowing the God of the Bible, and they're being converted en masse and coming to know him. And what we see is that in the midst of this, this church is gathering around, praying and fasting and worshiping. They are so taken in love with Jesus that they are willing to give of their time and give of themselves in order to love him and serve him. And we see, as a result, missionaries being sent out from the church. We see that people, as they get into God's presence, as they love God and serve God, it says that the word of God comes to them and says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me because I have a work for them. And friends, I have to let you know this, that we, as Catch the Fire, we are planted with the same DNA. This is the word that God spoke to Duncan and Kate as they were coming to Raleigh. And he said, I want you to go and plant a church like Antioch. I want you to go and uh, set people, have people be on fire in love with me. That's why we're called Catch the Fire. And to devote themselves to me. And to love me with all their hearts. And out of that, we're going to send missionaries out. Because what happens, God God is looking for people who are fully devoted to him. Who fully love him. This is why I love that we have burning nights of worship. Where we give of our time and give of ourselves. Whether there's two people or five million people, it doesn't matter. We're just loving God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our bodies. This is why we have burned 24-7 days of prayer, days of worship. This is why we have our Awaken the Dawn event coming up that we're being a part of, where there's going to be 24-7 praise and worship on all of the capitals across America at the end of September. It's going to be incredible. But it's because Jesus is worthy. It's because he is holy. And our founding pastors, John and Carol Arnott, always say that lovers will outwork servants. And when we take time to love God and love, and love Jesus with all of our hearts, he begins to show us who we are and whose we are and where he's calling us. And the mission of God gets born inside of us. And we have to go where he's sending us. Because we will do for beauty what we would never do for duty. There's nowhere we won't go and nothing we won't do when we see Jesus as beautiful. When we see him as glorious. Uh, (laughs) because he's so good. 
And when we see his goodness, we get moved by his goodness to go. Church, that's who we are. At the core of our being, that's who God's called us to be. Worshippers, prayers, fasters who love God. And we actually see something else here in Acts 13. We see that there's five people that are mentioned. There's Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul. And the names don't really mean much to us. I'd like to explain to you a little bit of who they are. Barnabas was a Levite, a Jew from Cyprus. Alongside Barnabas, we have Simeon. He's from a region in Africa called Niger, which means dark in Latin. He is black. Dark, 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 dark. Alongside him, we have Lucius, who's from another region in Africa called Cyrene. But the people from Cyrene are more like Arabs. They're a little bit, they're a little bit darker, but not black. Alongside Lucius, we have Menaean. We don't know much about Menaean other than he was brought up beside Herod. And so that means he is an elite of society. That means that he was rich. His family had means. And alongside them, we have Saul, who is a Jewish professor, a Jewish religious leader. And what we see is that for the first time, we have a multi-class, multi-race, multi generational group of people coming together. And this is absolutely foreign to anything that the ancient world knew. Up until this point, if you were a Greek, you worshipped the Greek gods. Up until this point, if you were Romans, you, wor- you worshipped the Romans god. If you were Jewish, you worshipped the Jewish god. And for the first time, we now have people who are not being contained to their um, cultures, but they are now being identified by something totally new. Something totally foreign to the culture. And people had no idea what to do. They went, oh my gosh, you're, you're from Africa. You're a Jew. You're, you're this, you're that. But you're all loving each other. You're all together. And they had to come up with a new phrase for them. And that is why Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. It's because there was no other way to classify them. There was no other way to know them. And when we truly understand this and truly get this into us, all the barriers that separate us come down. The walls that separate us come down. And we become one family and one community. But it only happens in the gospel. It only happens because of Jesus. And we have this church that is so full of fire, so full of faith, so full of love, that they're devoting themselves to God. And I'd like us to actually look at someone who I think is the hero of Antioch. And his name is Barnabas. So would you turn back with me to Acts 11? See, Barnabas, the news of what is happening in Antioch reaches the council, the church in Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas to them. And Barnabas does something. And I, I, for the rest of our time together, I want to look at what he does. Because without Barnabas, there is no Antioch. And also, without Barnabas, there's something else you need to know. Without Barnabas, we, don't, we do not have the Apostle Paul. And without Barnabas, we don't have the Gospel of Mark. And so Barnabas is indirectly responsible for over half of the New Testament that we are now reading. Because his life impacted generations to come. 
See, what Barnabas did was, when Saul first got converted, he came and he started preaching Jesus. No one trusted him. They thought that he was going to try to kill them. And so Barnabas took him and brought him to the leaders and said, no, 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 this man, he's true. He has had a conversion experience. He is now a Christian. And then we see again in Acts 11 that Barnabas goes to Tarsus to look for Saul, bring Saul back, and keep Saul with him. For more than a year, they're together. And in addition to that, later on in Acts 15, Barnabas and Paul split. They have a disagreement because they took a young man with them called John Mark, and John Mark goes, and on their mission trip, he gets afraid because of persecution, and he leaves them and runs away back to his home country. And Barnabas, being full of compassion, says, no, 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 we have to go get him. He has to come with us. And Paul says, no, he deserted us once. He's going to do it again. And they split. Barnabas goes and gets John Mark. And from that point on, we don't know much of Barnabas because he fades out and Acts begins to focus exclusively on Paul. But you have to realize this, that without Barnabas, there is no Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament. And without Barnabas, there is no John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark in conjunction with Peter, the earliest gospel. And so, and so without Barnabas, we wouldn't have any of these records. And without Barnabas, we wouldn't have Antioch. Because the council sends Barnabas to Antioch, but he does something that causes everything to go to the next level. That changes people. Let's look at what he does. It's in verse 23. When he arrived, Barnabas, and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So what did he do? He encouraged them. But that's actually a poor translation. He did far more than that. If you were to look at four or five or six different translations, you'll see that instead of the word encourage, they each use a different word. And when that happens, we know that the Greek word that is originally used in the text has so much meaning that there's no good English word that can translate what he did. And so the, the Greek word that he did is called parakaleo. I apologize to my Greek family. I probably butchered the pronunciation. But he parakaleoed them. And if we look closer at parakaleo, we'll see that it's actually a compound word. It's made up of two separate parts. You have kaleo. And kaleo is a strong word. Kaleo means to call out. You are forcefully calling someone out. Kaleo is what is used in the rest of Scripture to talk about God's calling on our lives. Kaleo is what's used when you yell to someone, when you say, hey, you. Kaleo is a strong, forceful word. Para is a gentler word. Para means to come alongside. In fact, we have that in our English language. We have a paralegal who comes alongside a lawyer. We have a paramedic who comes alongside a doctor. We have a paratrooper who comes alongside a a trooper. (laughs) We even have Paraguay who, that's a really bad example right there. (laughs) So so what Barnabas does is he paracaleos them. He comes alongside of them and he speaks the truth to them. 
look at what happens as a result of what Barnabas does in verse 24. Okay? Verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. As a result of what Barnabas does, people are encouraged, people are strengthened, people grow, people are flourishing, and evangelism goes to a whole other level at the church in Antioch. And it's all a result of the parakaleo that Barnabas does. And my friends, this is what we need in our lives. We need this to grow ourselves. We need the parakaleo ministry. And I'd like to invite up Davon and Aaron to help me demonstrate what this is because I don't think I can do it justice just by explaining it. So we have Davon and we have Aaron. Pretend they are strangers, all right? And Davon is going to kaleo Aaron. Aaron, pretend you're walking along. And Davon. Aaron, are you likely to stop if a stranger starts yelling at you on the street? (laughs) If someone starts yelling at you on the street, what are you going to do? Probably walk faster. Probably be like, stalker, creeper, keep going. Now, Davon's going to demonstrate what para is. Comes alongside. What, What we need is we need people who can do both to us. We need people who can call out to us, but we need people who can also come alongside of us. Because it does no good if all Davon does is yells at Aaron. Because Aaron is going to be resistant. Aaron is not going to receive it. But if all Davon does is come alongside of him and put his arm around him, and they walk together, but while they're walking together, a bridge is out, and Davon doesn't say anything, and Aaron doesn't see it, what's going to happen? They're going to crash. The bridge is out. Thank you, guys. See, we absolutely need this in our lives. We need this to grow. In fact, turn with me to Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 3, verse 13 says this. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily. That's that word for encourage there. That you're right, that's parakaleo. It means Paul is saying, sorry, the author of Hebrews is saying that we need people who can come alongside of us and call us out. Otherwise, our hearts get hard and we become deceived. And how do you know when you're deceived? You don't. You don't know when you're deceived. You don't know what you don't know. That is the definition of deception. And what the author is saying here is that if we want to guard ourselves against deception, we have got to have people who can daily call us out and walk with us. And we need that to grow. And when Barnabas starts to do this, what happens is it's like steroids. It's like miracle grow. People start to grow. They start to become strong. They start to be established. They start to become who God has called them to be. 
And just what Barnabas does, you and I desperately, desperately need. Why? Because sin is deceptive. And sometimes we don't even know what our own hearts are like. Sometimes we don't even know what our own hearts are thinking. Sin comes and deceives us. Our hearts become hard and we don't even realize our hearts are becoming hard. And in my life, it's been my privilege to have leaders who will come alongside of me and parakaleo me, who will come alongside, put their armor around me and say, John, you're incredible. John, you're strong. John, you're, this is who God's called you to be. But they've also, they also haven't shied away from telling me the truth. Hey, John, did you realize that when you said this, you sounded arrogant? Did you realize that when, that when you did this, it came across as insecurity? Do you realize that when, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to pastor, and I certainly wouldn't have a great marriage, and I certainly would be absolutely struggling in my life if I didn't have friends and leaders in my life who were both loving enough and courageous enough to come alongside of me, put their arms around me, and speak the truth to me. We absolutely need that. We absolutely need both. That's why, we, that's why we have such an emphasis, a strong emphasis on being family together, on being in an Ignite group together, on spending time together and growing together. That's why our Ignite groups are starting up, and I encourage you, go to our website, sign up, get people around you who can speak the truth to you in love, and at the same time that you can do the same thing back to them. That's what we're called to do. That's where God is calling us, is leading us. And that's actually what caused the church to go to a whole other level in Acts 11 because of Barnabas. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. We can't do this. (laughs) We We can't do this. We can't do this because sin has come and twisted us and bent us. And we have a bent towards either truth or we have a bent towards love. We're either truthers without love or, with, or we're lovers without truth. We have a tendency to be really good at calling someone out or we have a tendency to be really good at coming alongside someone. But we really struggle to do both. And I'm talking face-to-face let alone online, right? Online, online, most of our communication is nonverbal. So it's very hard to parakaleo someone unless you're in person with them. It's very hard to do this well. You can't do this over text. How do you confront someone while being loving at the same time? Put a smiley face on the end of it. <laughs> right? It's okay, I said something really harsh, but I'm smiley face, Right? How do you do this over Facebook? How do you do this over Twitter? Not very easily. Our online is really, really good. You can, you can do really well at coming alongside someone, or you can do really well at speaking the truth, but it's very, very difficult to do both. And if you're watching online, well done. Well done for, for learning and for growing, but don't let us stop there. Find a church family. Plug in. And find friends that you can grow with who will speak the truth to you and become that friend who will speak the truth to others. See, we absolutely need this. 
It's essential to us, but we don't do it. You're either wired towards truth or you're wired towards love, but it's very hard to do both. Almost impossible to do both. So then the question becomes, how the heck did Barnabas do this? And how did Barnabas do this without the internet? Right? And the secret is in verse 24, Acts eleven twenty four. Turn with me there. Let's read 23 again, and then we're going to read 24. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all. He parakaleoed them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now listen carefully. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And that right there, my friends, is how he's able to do this. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And when you are full of the Holy Spirit, what happens is you begin to hold truth and love together. Truth and love begin to kiss in your life. Uh, (laughs) And we become people who are radically committed to those around us, but we become people who are radically committed to the truth at the same time and calling people into who they truly are. And do you know why this is? It's because if you look in Scripture, parakaleo is actually a verb. It's something you do to someone. But there's only two places in the Bible that has the noun form of this, and that is the paraclete. And this is what Jesus says, John 14, 16. Turn with me there. And Aaron and Davon, can I get you back up, please? John 14 and John John 14, 16. Jesus says this. Starting at 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. That word counselor is the word paraclete. What Jesus is saying is I'm going to send someone else to do this paracleo ministry to you. I'm going to send someone who will simultaneously come beside you and embrace you and love you and at the same time simultaneously call you out, simultaneously speak to you about who you are, simultaneously begin to reveal to you what I have given to you, who I have made you to be. And this is why Paul says, Galatians 5.25, Therefore, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Because what happens is as we are walking in our lives, as we're walking in our lives, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and say, go this way. No, 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 now go this way. Okay, no, 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 it's time to change. It's time to turn here, son. It's time to turn here, daughter. Stay in step with me. And when we begin to receive, thank you guys. Let's give them a hand. When we begin to receive, ah, the wonderful Holy Spirit in our lives, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, he comes alongside of us and gently puts his arm around us. And we, and we know that he is with us. And we know that we are safe with him. But at the same time, he doesn't leave us there. And he begins to speak his truth and his life into us. And I'm so grateful to Jesus that he has done this for me. 
Because when I was a, when I was a younger man, I would wake up in the morning, I'd go downstairs, I'd pull my Bible out, and I would eat breakfast while reading my Bible. And every day I would take a chair and pull it out beside me, and I would say, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you sit beside me? Would you come and reveal to me what you meant when you wrote the words in the Bible? And then I would get in my car and start driving to work, and I would say, Jesus, would you come and would you sit in the passenger seat with me? Jesus, I would let you take the wheel, but it's, it wouldn't work. <laughs> Jesus, would you come and sit with me? And we start driving, and while we're driving, I would start saying, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for being here with me. See, he was pairing me. He was with me. But then I would start saying, God, what do you want to say to me? God, what do you want to release in me? And he began to show me lies that I'd been believing about myself. He began to speak truth to me. 1 Corinthians 13 says that when I, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And God spoke to me in my early 20s, and he said, John, you are becoming like a man, and some of the ways you're acting are actually beneath you. It's time to grow up, son. It's time to come out of that immaturity. It's time to grow into maturity. And because he was with me, I said, okay, God, would you teach me how to do this? See, he doesn't just kaleo us. He doesn't just say, come over here. But every time the word of God is released into your life, the power to obey the word is also released. And the power is the person. He comes along and he starts to pull us towards himself. I was driving into work one day and I said, God, are there any lies I'm believing about myself? Any, anything you want to break off? And he said to me, John, when you were younger, you used to believe that you were not worthy of people's time. And I thought back over my life and I went, wow, you're right. Because I had grown up in Toronto. John and Carol are not where my pastors. Duncan and Kate have been my youth pastors since 2000. And... And I came on staff at the church, and I was talking with Duncan, and John Arnott was walking by, and Dunk says, hey, John, have you met this phenomenal young man named John? And I looked at John Arnott, and the first words out of my mouth were, hi, John, you probably don't remember me. Even though I've been at your church since for 15 years, (laughs) but you probably don't remember me. And John looked at me, and he, he did this cheeky little smile. And he said, oh, I remember you, Jonathan Shunker. And I walked away going, he knew me. He knew. He knew my name. Oh, my gosh. And God brought this memory back to me as I was driving. And he said, John, the, way, the reason you responded like that is because you do not believe that you're worth people's time. But, John, it's okay. I'm actually breaking that lie off your life. And in that moment, I didn't need to pray. I didn't need to uh, break agreement with any. It, it was like God did that supernaturally in my life. And it's only through walking with him as the paraclete has paracaleoed me, as he has come with me and loved me and spoken to me, that my life has been changed. And as my friends and my leaders have done the same to me and as I've been able to give it back to them. And what we've done is we've grown. It's been like miracle grow in the soil of our hearts. And we have just shot up and are becoming the people who God has called us to be. And imagine, imagine what it would be like if in our community and in our church family that we made so much room for the Holy Spirit 
that he so encountered us and so changes us that we are compelled to come alongside of people and speak the truth into their life. For those of you who are managers, for those of you who are CEOs, for those of you who have employees, what would it look like if you started to do this with your employees? What would it look like if you know that the paraclete is with you and so you can come alongside of them and say, wow, I'm so committed to your success in business. I'm so committed to who you are in business. And I just want to let you know that your lateness is not who you are. I want to let you know that this problem, because it's a problem and it's affecting everyone in the office, is not who you are. And I'm going to call you out into maturity. But I'm committed to seeing that happen in you for your goodness and for your grace. You know what will happen? What will happen is all of Raleigh and all of Durham and all of Chapel Hill will look at us and they'll go, we have no words to describe what is going on. We have no phrases to describe. It won't be Democrat. It won't be Republican. It won't be conservative. It won't be liberal. It'll be kingdom. And they'll start going, oh my goodness, you guys must be Christians. You guys must be followers of Jesus. But it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. And why is that? It's because Jesus says in John 14, 16, that I will send, I will send to you another helper. So if there's another helper, who's the first helper? The only other place in Scripture that the word paraclete is used is in 1 John 2, 1. And it's when John is writing and he says, but if we sin, we have an advocate. We have a helper. And his name is Jesus, everybody. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father are all doing this to us. It means that we have a God who is not far off and saying, get over here, obey my call, nor do we have a God who comes alongside of us and says, well, let's just go anywhere you want to go. We'll just walk together. I love everyone. We have a God who comes beside us and calls us to himself. And then not only calls us, but brings us to himself. And when this sinks into us, we start to become people who can release the words and the truth of Jesus, but an absolute love that disarms and transforms. Would you stand with me? Come Holy Spirit, all across this room, Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the ultimate paraclete. I thank you that you are our defense. I thank you that you are our advocate. You are our helper. You are the one who comes. You are the wind of God that blows us to God, that's moving us to God. And Holy Spirit, would you come and would you walk with us and begin to speak your words of truth into our hearts? And before we dismiss, there's three people that I believe need to respond, three types of people. The first is if you have never in your life accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be your paraclete, 
there's an opportunity here for you today to do that. Or if you've walked away from him, you've turned your back on him, and if you're listening online, there's an opportunity for you to come back to him and have him come around you and speak his words of truth into you. Then there are those of us who are in a cave. We've been hurt in past relationships, and so we've isolated ourselves. We've cut ourselves off from those around us. And as a result, we cannot receive any of the nutrients that we need to grow and grow well because it's only in community that we can do that. And if that's you, I have good news for you, and that is that Jesus is rolling away the stone and he's saying to you, come out. He's calling you out and rushing in to be with you and bring you out into freedom and wholeness and healing. And then there are those of us in this room and listening online, who what we really need need is just more of the Holy Spirit. We need to become more aware of his presence, become more aware of his truth and his words and his love, and for that to sink deeply into us. And when that does, we begin to be transformed. And I'd like to invite the ministry team to come up to the front. So I want to ask you this. Which category are you in? Because God is so good that he's highlighting, he's putting his finger on you because he loves you so much that he's calling you to himself. I'd like you to close your eyes. And if you have never in your life prayed a prayer or if you prayed a prayer and walked away from him, Jesus is calling you back. And if you would like to receive him as your paraclete, as your Lord, as your Savior, I'd like you to pray this with me. You can say this in your heart. You can say this out loud. You can say it under your breath, but say it. Speak it. Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry for turning my back on you. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you forgive me of being my own Lord and being my own master? And I turn to you right now. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And that three days later, you were raised to life. And now I ask you, would you come and would you rule and would you reign in my heart? And if you prayed that prayer and believed it with all your heart, I would like to welcome you into the family of God. Please find a leader. Come Come find me. I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. And then find a Bible-believing, spirit-filled church and plug in and grow. For those of you who the Lord's speaking to you and you know that you're in a cave, it's time to come out of your cave. It's time to come out into the light. And it may sting and it may hurt, but the Lord's calling you out. As um, In first service, I got a picture of this guy who had, had been wounded and he had tried to band-aid himself, but really the band-aids were just causing him to be more wounded. They weren't actually helping with healing. They were just covering up the issues. As I prayed for him, I said, the Lord is saying, it's time to take off the band-aids and step into the light. And I believe that's God's word for you. 
And in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come up to the front and have the ministry team pray for you. And then for those of you who, as I'm speaking, you're going, wow, Holy Spirit, I need you more. I haven't made room in my life for you. Jesus, I need your words. I need your truth. I need your love in my heart. Well, there's room for you as well to receive prayer. And please don't stay in your seats because that's the very thing that will work against what you've been hearing. Come up to the front, open yourself up, and let's let community come around you and speak God's truth and God's word, but also release God's love into you. So if if you're in either of those three categories, I'm going to boldly invite you, come out of your seat, come up the aisle, come to the front, and we have our ministry team here who would love to pray for you, bless you, release the love and the truth of God into you, and speak his words. Come on up.